Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Anyone in America will know how important it is to win an NCAA title. It's absolutely significant and it's something that a lot of, you know, companies look at, a lot of brands, sports shoes. Um, if you're trying to go pro, that's definitely one of the competitions that they're looking at. So, yeah, definitely um, gives birth to, you know, a lot of stars. Here comes Honeysuckle to raise the roof. Her final run. She's going to go out a winner again. Honeysuckle has done it to beat Love Envoy. What a way to go out. Fairy tale stuff from a magnificent race man. I won't say they didn't, they didn't give up, but people just didn't believe that it could happen. Uh, they've had their hearts broken on so many different occasions. But I just think with this new group, with a new coaching group, Munster are playing attacking rugby. They're, they're playing, uh, you know, scoring a lot of tries in games. They're winning games, um, you know, by good margins. Playing good attacking yeah, I rugby. It is. I, I don't want to say it's career changing because I feel like you know you have to back it up and keep going. Uh, um, you know, financially, obviously, huge paycheck this week. Obviously, gives you some security, and it gives me the opportunity to kind of, you know, just go for it, see what I can do. I'm I'm pretty good at my predictions, and I think uh, of those twelve, a high percentage of those um, will come back with some with some medal. Yes, you're very welcome to our last show before Christmas. It is Friday, December twenty second. I am Shane Dawson, and you are listening to Game On. Coming up this evening, we're taking a look back over some memorable voices and moments over the past year here on the show. Between now and 7pm, we will revisit big years for Rashida Adeleke, Rachel Blackmore, Munster Rugby and Stephanie Meadow. So, if you're out and about, at home, on the road or listening back through our podcast, we hope you enjoy the next hour with us here on Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Well... It was a breakthrough season to break them all for 21-year-old Rashida Adeleke as she accelerated to the top table of athletics as the year went on. This culminated in a fourth-place finish in the 400 metres at the World Championships in Budapest in August. A performance promising more to come at next year's Olympics in Paris, we of course hope. But before all of that, she signed a deal with Nike. Before that, she had to make the decision to turn professional. Before that, she won the 400 metre gold at the prestigious NCAAs for University of Texas. And before all of that, we heard from her here on the show back in March. And knowing what we know now, eh, I think you'll agree she had a clear vision of the path she was on. No, because I know a lot of collegiate coaches, you know, their main objective is the collegiate season for the athletes to perform on a collegiate level and um, win championships, win team championships and score as many points as you can um, just so they can get, you know, some more money in their pocket. So like they would have, I know there was a lot of talk about it at the SEC championships, how there were some athletes doing four events in the space of two hours to score t- points for their team. And, you know, Coach Flo was never someone who would do that. You know, I only ran one event at Big 12 Championships because he's looking towards me running at Budapest, which isn't even part of the collegiate season. So no, I'm really, really grateful to have someone like him. We're so close. He really gives me advice in all areas, regardless of um, like the sporting relationship that we have. Yeah. He's kind of like a father figure, if anything. And you know, I'm just really grateful. He gave, he recruited me with a plan and he had a vision and he knew what I was capable of even when I didn't think I was capable of those things. And it kind of always reassured me that I am destined, to, you know, to be successful. And he sees the potential that I have. And yeah, he's just 
just kind of always he's always been real with me always been honest and he's so genuine like he would never kind of run me into the ground if he doesn't think that something is beneficial for me he won't put me he won't put me in that direction what's life like for you in texas what's a typical day like for you now okay so i'll use tomorrow as an example so um i'll wake up around 5 30 in the morning and i'll go to the gym and we have gym from around 6 till 7.30. And then I'll go to class. Uh, actually, I'll go home for about 30 minutes, get some breakfast and stuff. Then I'll go to class. And after class, I'll come back home for about another 30, 45 minutes. And I'll go to another class. Actually, I'll go to go get food, um, lunch at our nutrition center. Then I'll go to class again. And then after that class, that ends at 2 o'clock. Then I have training from 3 to about 4.30. And then sometimes we have team meetings, sometimes we don't. And if we don't have a team meeting, I go get food at a nutrition center again, and then I'll go home. So that's that's usually what it's like. The NCAA championships, you probably don't know too much about them over here. Could you maybe put into context just how big they are? The NCAA championships is basically like the world championships for all the best collegiate athletes in the US. So the level here at, on the, at the collegiate system is very, very high. So I seen a tweet yesterday and it was like, it's harder to qualify for the NCAA championships and it is for world championships indoors because they only take the top 16 in the country in each event. And it's based on how fast or how far do you jump or ex- your marks um, throughout the season. So for example, the qualif- the last time to get into the um, 60 meters, for example, 60 meters for women is 720. And that would probably get you into a semi-final at the World Indoor Championships or the European Indoor Championships. And that's the last mark to qualify. So because it kind of just shows the depth of the athletes here. It's very, it's a very um, prestigious competition. It has a lot of ties here in the US. Um, anyone in America will know the, how important it is to win an NCAA title. It's, it's absolutely significant. And it's something that a lot of, you know, companies look at, a lot of brands, sports shoes. Um, if you're trying to go pro, that's definitely one of the competitions that they're looking at. So yeah, definitely um, gives birth to, you know, a lot of stars. So that was Rashida Adeleke, a generational talent. We'll all be following even more in 2024. And speaking of generational talents, jockey Rachel Blackmore had another day to remember at Cheltenham this year, riding honeysuckle to glory in the champion hurdle. The last race for the Henry de Bromhead trained mare and a special win against the backdrop of the tragic loss of Henry's son, Jack, just a few months before. Here's how we reflected on it all with Ruby and Marie on the day, starting with the closing stages of that race. Round the bend they come to the final flight. Honeysuckles every chance of a fairy tale farewell here. Trying to draw alongside Love Envoy. They've quickened again now. Down towards the last. Honeysuckle out jumped by Love Envoy. He's got a slender lead. Love Envoy hanging slightly. Here comes Honeysuckle to raise the roof. Her final run. She's going to go out a winner again. Honeysuckle has done it to beat Love Envoy. What a way to go out. Fairy tale stuff from a magnificent race mare. Yeah, look, we all we all wish a very special kid could be here today, but he's watching down us. Uh, yeah. Oh God, it's a happiness. Um, she was unbelievable. She's just the way Henry has produced her every day is phenomenal. Um, like I, I just, as a jockey, I'm so grateful. Um, 
Yeah, she's just a phenomenal mare. She's been incredible for my career. For everyone down in Knockeen who have looked after her over the years. Um, Henry's head lad, Davy Roche, does an unbelievable job with all the horses. And yeah, she's just a credit to everyone. Kenny's one of the coolest owners you'll ever ride for. And uh, yeah, it's a brilliant day. I'm sure it's the fairy tale ending, isn't it? You know? Well, I presume it's the ending. <laughs> There's always punches down, and Maloney will never let us get away with that. So it's the fairy tale ending. It's what you dream of happening, and you know, more often than not, it doesn't. But the, today it has, so it's incredible. Yeah, absolutely, it means a lot to all of us. And, and how would you sum up what Honeysuckle has done? Oh, she's, you know what I, you know, she's just an incredible mare. She's awesome, and yeah, look, um, we've had so much fun with her. And yeah, very lucky to have had her. Yeah, that was Henry de Bromhead speaking after Honeysuckle won the mare's hurdle a little bit earlier on. Ruby Walsh joins us now. Ruby, it's one of those days that I'd say you're going to remember forever. It is, Marie. It's one of those days like that you could always say, yeah, I was there, I watched that, I saw that. Um, that's what it means to me. Now, I know it's horse racing and it won't have that sort of emotion for everybody but it most certainly did for me to be here this afternoon to watch from start to finish but to put the cherry on the cake to watch Honeysuckle win uh, with Rachel Blackmore with everything that has gone on in the lives of the De Bromheads this year it was just sport doesn't often deliver a fairy tale result but by God in Cheltenham we got every fairy tale this afternoon Yeah it was amazing and Ruby like I know you said there that not everybody can was there or maybe understand but even sitting at home on the television and watching it every bit of that emotion came through the screen and that does not always happen but just the way it finished Rachel's interview afterwards the scenes and the parade ring all that sort of stuff like it just it it felt magic it must have just felt unreal over there it it did but I think Marie why everybody could relate to it is I'm a parent you're a parent and there are loads of parents listening to this show and no one of us wants to be where Heather and Henry de Bromhead are so to stand here this afternoon and then watch Honeysuckle do that and to see some bit of joy come into their lives only for a few moments Mm. you you couldn't have bought it it was just and everybody felt it for them everybody was so happy for them and for me and Georgia you just you couldn't, it's so hard to even put words on it. It was just the absolute fairy tale. Yeah, and, and look, I often quote you on this, you always say that sport can be a great distraction for reality and, and it actually really just felt like that because to be able to have that unbridled joy at something and to be able to forget everything else that's going on in the world and around you and just be able to live in the moment is sometimes exactly what everybody needs and, and you could see that in, in Henry and, and in Rachel as well and just in everybody connected to them. You could. And look, I know Henry a long time. I, I rode for him. Actually, my wife, Gillian, would know him a lot better. Uh, she would have been family friends with the Bromheads from the time she was a child. And like I would know the Bromheads more socially than I would have even through riding. And to watch Henry today in the winner's enclosure, like as Robert Power says, he thinks he's Jorgen Klopp. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. the reaction, the interaction he had yeah. with the crowd. Yeah, he could feel that that he could feel the warmth from the crowd and he embraced it and it was just it was beautiful it was really powerful actually now like and I was only just watching it on the television but like the what he was getting off the crowd you could really sense it what about Rachel though Ruby like she you never see her like that 
No, and look, maybe I'm speaking out of school here, but yesterday we were here in Cheltenham and uh, Rachel was doing some work for a jockey club and she was uh, it was involved with a whole lot of kids in the local area or whatever and I had tagged, not tagged on, I, at the very end was involved in a, a photograph. So when the photographs were over, she, she rang, rang my phone. I was thinking, she was just in front of me five minutes ago. And as soon as she rings, she says, uh, where are you? I said, I'm still here. So yeah, she called me over. So she said she wanted to talk about the mayor's hurdle and she was... Uh, how was she? I had never saw her as, I wouldn't say nervous, as anxious, mm-hmm. as anxious is the word. And she was so anxious and she went to the talk through the race and she just, it wasn't that she was looking for advice, she just wanted to talk and, and talk racing and talk every aspect of how this race would play out for her. And I, was, I just stood and was listening and offered a bit of advice here and a bit of advice there. But to see the pressure she was under mm-hmm. and the pressure she had herself under yesterday, and then to see her deliver the ride she gave it. And because of the emotion and what happened, the actual technical skill of what she did will get overlooked. But she gave Honeysuckle a brilliant ride. She, like, she allowed Johnny Burke to lead. She sat And from second place, she controlled the whole race. They went really slow. And she kept all the opposition behind her. When they went to challenge her at the top of the hill, she just did enough to stay in front of them without committing herself she did so many things right and like you always talk about big sports people and uh, great triumphs but you have to deliver on the big day mm. and this afternoon Rachel Blackmore delivered perfectly when it mattered most yeah I was wondering about that alright because obviously I wouldn't have a clue what's going on um, but whereas you would but to be able to execute what she was able to execute under that pressure Ruby for you who's done it so many times it must be just remarkable It'll make you admire her even more. And like it, it, so much of horse racing is like every other sport. It's all about tactics. And people get hung up in the, the physical power and the, the, the physical ability of everybody that's involved in it. But if you can read a soccer match and you can be ahead of where the ball is going, whether you're technically as good as another player, it doesn't matter because you're already ahead of them. Uh, I, I, I watch great sports people at the moment, Marie, and I admire them. You watch Keane Lynch, who always seems to have more time on the ball than anybody else. Davy Clifford, the same. Uh, Messi had it. They just never seem to be in the wrong place. I often read it about Paul McGrath, who athlet, whose athletic ability diminished, but his brain always kept him way ahead of the game. So, so much of sport is about how you think about it and how you execute it from a tactical point of view. You watch DuPont at the weekend. I mean, imagine having his, his foresight mm-hmm. of, of what he did with the rugby ball. But you watch Rachel this afternoon, and it was her execution of the tactics that I admired so much and it was it was magical to watch Game On Racing Now stick with us here on 2FM as we continue our Game On look back over 2023 after this short break Game On on 2FM Now you're very welcome back to Game On as we revisit some memorable voices and moments over the past year here on the show this evening. In rugby, the outcome may have fallen short for Ireland at the Rugby World Cup, but there was success for Irish rugby this year. A grand slam for Andy Farrell's side back in March, plus some long-awaited silverware for Munster in the URC in May. At Thoman Park homecoming for Graeme Roundtree's side after their return from Cape Town with the URC trophy, Marie and Ruby caught up with Michael Corcoran. Game on, rugby. 
the Corcoran is with us as well. Michael, you're going on a road trip, I understand, the sunshine? Uh, yes, it's incredible. I'm in uh, Thoman Park, actually, for the homecoming. Team due at about 7 o'clock. Um, they're expecting somewhere in the region of 10,000 people here. Gates opened at 6, and uh, the terracing in front of the stand here where I am um, is already full. Um, I've had to come in from outside because I can hardly hear uh, myself think, not a mindset talk. Um, but uh, yeah, a huge sense of anticipation. Um, we're talking about success and Ruby talking about, you know, the best thing can happen to you is lose. Well, Munster know what it's like to lose, but last Saturday they experienced success. It's the first time that silverware for uh, Munster um, uh, you know, we'll come back to Thoman Park the first time in 12 years. Ironically, uh, the last time they won silverware was uh, in the, the, the previous uh, incarnation of this uh, league, uh, the Magnus Pro 12, I think it was at the time, when they beat Leinster uh, 12 years ago. And, um, you know, the fact they beat uh, the Stormers in Cape Town and won it the hard way last, uh, last Saturday is, uh, is huge, um, given the fact that they had a really poor start to the season. Um, you know, they've won, they're unbeaten in six matches away from home. They beat Glasgow away in the quarterfinal, Leinster away in the semi-final, and had to travel to Cape Town to take on the defending champions and beat them in their own back garden, playing some really superb rugby, particularly after the season, at the start of the season that Munster had. It's, um, they're assured of an absolutely outstanding welcome here in Thoma Park tonight. Michael, what are you putting it down to this turn of fortune? Is it a case that, that Graham Rowntree's right coach? coaching team that he brought in, the style of play, the mix of the old monster, the new monster. Uh, what do you feel has been the catalyst for this turnaround? Well, it took a while for the coaching staff to, to bed in. Now, Dennis Leamy, um, you know, was at Leinster for a period of time. Mike Prendergast over in France with Bourguin and Racing. Um, it took them a while to get their minds kind of together in terms of their game plan and what they wanted to do. I uh, remember after one of the early matches where they lost, I met Dennis Leamy in the car park and uh, he said to me, look, people just have to be patient, people have to stick with us. We're in a situation, he said, where it's probably going to take us maybe till Christmas or maybe slightly after Christmas to get everything together, get everything right. The players bought into it um, in terms of what they were trying to do. I mean, I've seen Munster over the years go and play teams like Leinster in semi-finals of competition and their, their game plan was kicking the ball up in the air. Now. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but e even to, even as late as this morning, they still don't give any points for that. Um, they didn't score, they didn't play any matches, they didn't take, they didn't trouble many many teams, and I took them a while. Their fitness levels were 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 incredible this season. Uh, that was one thing that they were lacking. I remember being at an open training session here a couple of months back, um, and the, you know we were allowed in to see them uh, do do some of the, the the work they were doing on the pitch. Um, and even even props, even you know, with the ball in their hand, back row, second row, that type of thing, they were making a hit, and instead of lying there going, geez, that was a great tackle, they were up again because there was somebody else running at them. Their fitness levels were really superb, and um, you know, they've adapted, they, they, they bought into what Graham Rountree was trying to do, but he's in power with the two coaches, Mike Prendergast and Dennis Leamy, um, in terms of what they want, and... Um, uh, you, you know, it, it's 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 a it's a it's a kind of mis, a mishmash of the old versus the new. The new younger players coming in. You know, Conor Murray wasn't picked for the European Games at the start of the, uh, start of this year. Took it on the chin. Craig Casey was in there. Jack Crowley's come storming through. Everybody thought it was going to be Joey Carberry. Then Ben Healy was there. Ben Healy decided he's going off to Scotland. And Jack Crowley has come through. And Jack was superb in the final. 
Uh, Malachi Fakato was brilliant in the final. Um, we've been waiting to see him all season in terms of the quality of the player that we know that he has. Antoine Frisch was brilliant in what they tried to do. And, um, you know, like Keith Earls coming off the bench, Mike Haley at fullback. I mean, I, I don't want to go through the entire team, but, like, I mean, they were just excellent in terms of the Stormers, as, as Stephen Ferris said earlier there. You know, the Stormers were the team last year. They were the, they were the fairy tale team, of, uh, you know, from last year. You know, they didn't lose many, many matches until they lost to Munster in the regular season recently. Um, and then they lost to them again. They've played Munster three times in this competition. They've lost three times. And for, uh, for a team like Munster to go to Cape Town, to bring three or 4,000 fans with them and to win the match playing in the new Munster way. And that's not just mauling people over from close in. This is scoring tries. If you look at that, that John Hotton a try for to win the game, I don't know how many players, but I would say... Practically every Munster player who was on the pitch at that time touched that ball at some stage before John Hodden had scored in the corner and Jack Crowley, you know, to kick the conversion from the touchline, which pushed the game out uh, to pass to, you know, pass, pass the three-point score, um, was absolutely fantastic. Uh, but we, we shouldn't be surprised because they're playing super rugby. They, they did so against Glasgow in the quarterfinal, scored some really good tries. I know Glasgow finished with 14. Um, you know, they did. I mean, they had the way of it all to go from one end of the pitch to the other and land a drop goal uh, to beat Leinster in the semi final of the competition. But that's this is now the new Munster way. And um, under Graham Roundtree and, um, and Prandy and, um, and Dennis Leamy, I mean, this is the way forward from a Munster point of view. Some people, you know, and I've heard some social media comment over the weekend, some people kind of sneeringly looking down their nose, going, oh, it's only the URC or whatever. Like, there's four really strong South African teams in this competition. And for Munster to get to the final and to beat the defending champions on their home turf is, is really uh, a big thing. And especially in the year of a Rugby World Cup, we shouldn't take that for granted either. Stephen, do you see a new Munster, a new Munster way, or is it just different players? Do you know, Ruby, I think there's been some harsh... Uh, not sorry, not harsh. There's been some big calls made by Graham Rowntree and obviously that's come around selection. Joey Carberry has not featured that much. I think his last start for Munster was the 25th of March against Glasgow when they get beaten at home. Um, and Graham Rowntree has said consistently over the last couple of months that you know, in his post-match press conferences that we're finding out about our players. We're finding out you know who's got it. We're finding out more and more about each other, and and I think he he sort of it's taken him a, a nearly three well eight tenths of a of a season to figure out his best twenty three players that he wants, and Joey Carberry is not a part of that at the minute, and and hopefully he is in the future. We know that the the ability that he has, he's shown that in in red of Munster and green of Ireland, but at the minute. It's young Jack, young Jack Crowley who really is getting this team ticking. He, he's so, so, um, he's just got, oozes class. He uses class and, you know, for him to step in last minute, I think it was against Australia, wasn't it, in the, in the Autumn Internationals. Um, you know, done a good job there. I'm sure the, the young lad was, um, you know, very, very nervous getting into that game. And, um, you know, he, he did himself proud and he's carried that form the whole way throughout the season. And if anything, I would probably say he's, um, you know, he's probably second choice behind Johnny Sexton if there's an Irish team playing next week. So we'll wait and see how all that pans out. But I think, you know, some of the key players from Munster, Peter O'Mahony, as always, Gavin Coombs, that charge down on Manny LeBock, the work rate off the ball, 
I think it was in 70-odd, two, three minutes just before Munster scored, and he got the charge down, which then led to um, um, Munster retrieving the ball again and, and scoring the try off the back of it. It was just some really, really big performances. Casey off the bench was immense yet again. Um, and as Michael Corcoran said there, you know, you go through the whole 15 to 23 players because they, uh, you know, they were so, so good on the day. But, yeah. I go back to the original point there, Ruby. I think some of the big decisions that Graham Roundtree uh, has made in terms of his team selection have, have changed the way Munster are playing and have changed the way that uh, they're probably going to play uh, in the next couple of seasons. It seems as well, and even just hearing the background noise and the 5,000 fans that travel to South Africa and knowing there's going to be a massive crowd there, that that connection with Munster and the fans, it wobbled for a little while, but it feels like it's back now at full strength. Oh, it is completely, and I mean, I'll trace it all the way back to when they played, um, when Munster played South Africa A in Parky Cueve in November. Um, I mean, the match sold out in a matter of a couple of days, 40-odd thousand people at the game. Uh, super performance by a Munster team, short a lot of uh, test international players, you know, um, and it felt that night as if there was a like a... A, a, re, a reconnecting of the bond between the players and indeed uh, the fans as well, even the Cranberries and Zombie playing when the team came out and that's now been adopted as a, as a monster rugby song basically and I expect it's going to be blasting over the public address when they come out with the uh, trophy in little over half an hour's time here um, you know that uh, I suppose people just, just didn't didn't I won't say they didn't they didn't give up, but people just didn't believe that it could happen. Uh, they've had their hearts broken on so many different occasions. But I just think with this new group, with a new coaching group, Munster are playing attacking rugby. They're playing, they're playing. Uh, you know, scoring a lot of tries in games. They're winning games, um, you know, by good margins. Playing good attacking rugby. People got fed up to their back teeth of looking at the ball being kicked up in the air and centres and wings scratching the head wondering how you know how, how are we going to score tries and beat teams when all we're doing is thumping the ball up in the air but thankfully that's been long banished um, uh, to, to, the, to the memory and to the bin um, and it's just that the, the way they're playing at the moment is, is, is pretty attractive and people have, um, have voted with their feet they're here I mean as I said it's up to this has only been organised since yesterday um, and they've had to cap it at 10,000 people um, so there's going to be 10,000 people um, I won't say squashed in but there'll be 10,000 people here for this and all the buzz. I've had to come in from outside. The noise is absolutely incredible outside. So any background noise you're hearing is behind thick panes of glass here, basically. So that'll tell you how, uh, how noisy it is outside. So that was Munster's successful season under the spotlight. And after this short break, we'll hear from golfer Stephanie Meadow on another success of sorts. A 390,000 euro payday for her top three major finish at the Women's PGA. That's still to come here on Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Now, welcome back to Game On as we revisit some memorable voices and moments over the past year here on the show this evening. In June, Ruby and I caught up with Irish golfer Stephanie Meadow the day after her top three finish at the KPMG Women's PGA, one of the biggest majors in golf with one of the biggest prize funds. Stephanie walked away with a cheque for $423,000 and we caught up with her the next day here on Game On. Game On! Go! You know what? Yesterday I was actually really composed um, and I, I think, you know, I've been out here a long time and there's so much more. Yes, the money is fantastic but, you know, 
playing for a major with Leona in the final group, like trying to get my first win, trying to, you know, get a first major championship from Ireland. There were so many other things and sure the money crossed the mind, but I mean, to me, it was, I was kind of, you know, it's your legacy. Right. And I don't know how much longer, um, you know, or how many more chances I'll get to, to play. So, um, you know, I'm still planning on playing for many years to come, but you just never know. Right. So I've been out here a long time. So I was just trying to leave something behind. That was great. You did an interview on Friday where you said golf is what I do. It's not what I am. Mm-hmm. And to me, you backed that up with your actions yesterday by going for that eagle on 18. Yeah. You really, you did, lots of sports people say things that they don't back up. You did back it up. That's yeah. too strength. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I think that's something I've realized a lot this year. It's been up until, you know, two weeks ago, it had been a really rough year for me. And, um, you know, it's, it's really hard. Like it's hard when you're not playing good golf and it's your career. And, um, but I just kept telling myself, you know, I'm a, I have other things in life that I want to do. I have a family and, uh, you know, all these other things. And um, I think, you know, it made a big difference mentality wise um, on the weekend, but, you know, it's true. We are, we are people, we're not just golfers. And um, that goes for men and women. You mentioned um, that kind of support you have. I, I know you got married a couple of months ago and, and, and you've spoken about that, the kind of family you have and everything. How important is that? support network I suppose when you want to be in contention at at the top end of these competitions yeah it's it's fantastic I mean (laughs) I can't tell you how many videos I got yesterday of people watching you know from home there um from my golf club that I practice at in Phoenix um you know mom was watching obviously uh in-laws were watching the hits grandparents were watching you know it's just it's an ongoing list of support and you know, I feel it. And I think Leona's the same. We've mentioned it, that, you know, Irish fans are the best fans. Like anytime there's a tournament at home, there's, you know, way more people than come out here. So, um, you know, it, it, it's fantastic. You mentioned fans watching on from, from home and um, listeners will, will notice the, the American twang yeah. that's sort of <laughs> in with that, that Antrim accent. Um, yeah. like you, you're, you're what, you're an American now? just 18 years. 18 years so okay mm-hmm. okay do you get home yeah. to Ireland much yeah um, I'm back three or four times a year um, we play the event at Galgorm and um, now that I had I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to play the Irish Open um, at Dremore just because of how I was playing this year and I thought I had to stick on LPGA so I'm going to reevaluate schedule now that things have changed a bit and um, hope to come back for that as well be great if you did come back from that and be great if Leona was there as well but mm-hmm. look yourself and Leona have played against each other been friends for years you know each other your whole careers you've roomed together played everything there is together so when you're playing that final round yesterday and you're hanging in there in a round par and things aren't going great for her is it hard to stay in your own game yeah I think so I mean obviously we're very we're both very competitive people um but we spent a lot of time together and it was you know it was hard to see that yesterday because I know how much pressure was on and and obviously everybody wants to win um you know and yesterday just wasn't her day and uh but you know at the end of it golf's done and we're back to being friends again so uh you know we both looked at each other yesterday and we knew we didn't have to say anything we knew that it wasn't what we wanted but um you know, life goes on and, and I'm sure she'll be back to compete in the next major in a very short time. I mean, she's a very consistent player and a great player. How, how much belief does this result kind of give you? Because overall, 
it's probably not the season you would have wanted. Then, a couple of weeks ago, you have a great finish. Wow. And then obviously this, un- this unbelievable finish um, just this weekend now. So like going forward, has your mindset changed at all? Or has that kind of belief been always been there? Um, no, I mean, two, three, four weeks ago, it was, it was really hard to believe because I just wasn't hitting it good. I couldn't find a kind of thought or feeling on the golf course that was kind of working. Um, so I felt a bit scrambled, if that makes sense. So I guess mm. now the biggest difference is I feel much more clear, you know, and to see it under pressure um, doesn't mean that that's how it's going to always work. But, you know, I found something um, with my coach that seems to work under pressure. So um, and just to see the ball going in the right area, it's a good feeling for anybody. So, um, yeah, a lot of confidence moving forward. Uh, I've always been a great putter and I've been struggling with my iron play this year. So to see that kind of get a lot better this week gives me a lot of hope for you know the upcoming months just you know with my swing we've been kind of trying to do the same thing um you know just getting less stuck on the way down and we've been trying to go cycle through different thoughts to see what works best um under tournament mode and um I just kind of got a downswing feeling that really very simple but it was very effective um and you know you know, it's amazing. My coach flew out from Phoenix yesterday to Munich on a um, a red eye flight on Saturday night to get there Sunday to watch. So, um, you know, it's great to have a team like that. Not many people in the world, you know, will jump on a plane and um, fly across the country and come watch you. So, and his other player, Mina, she was in the third to last group. So, you know, it's great to have that you know, that gives me a lot of confidence too. Obviously he believes in me and um, everybody else believes in me as well. Is this a, a career changing weekend? Because like even looking back at your your journey, I mean, you're what, you're 31 years of age now, mm-hmm. given everything you've had to overcome, the, the, the back issues, like losing your father, even at, at a young age in, in your rookie year. And I think it was what, 2019 and, and 21, you, you really had to kind of finish with, with basically the last put to even keep your yeah, card yeah. now. So like when, when mm-hmm. you reflect on all that and you see what you can achieve and you, and we talk about the belief in the support system, like what will this do for, for, for you and, and for your career? Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, it's hard to go with such a, uh, it's, you know, I finished third, my first event out and then it was like downhill for there for a little bit. But, um, you know, it's, I'm a very different person now. Um, I was very young then. I didn't have an experience pro golf. Um, now I've, I'm, you know, veteran, I'm considered old on the LPJ tour. So, um, you know, I think it is, I, I don't want to say it's career changing because I feel like, you know, you have to back it up and keep going. Um, which, you know, I guess that's just sort of my personality. Um, I would say that's Leona as well, right? Like we just keep, everybody wants the next best thing. You want to do better. You want to win. You want to keep competing, but, um, you know, financially, obviously huge paycheck this week, KPMG put a lot of money into the purse and, um, that obviously gives you some security and it gives me the opportunity to kind of play free for the rest of the year, which is not a opportunity I've had too many times. Um, last year, you know, I had a good year, so, um, I kind of had that, but this year definitely, you know, it gives me that, you know, just go for it see what I can do. The roller coaster of sport, which is far more down than it's ever going to be up. What would you think has taught you in the last nine years? Yeah, there's been a lot of downs. I mean, one month ago, I was, you know, crying to my husband about what, you know, how am I going to get better? or What am I doing? You know, <laughs> um, you know, what, what am I doing with my life sort of thing? But that's just sport, right? Like that is, that's how hard it is. And that's how, 
much we care, like it, it, it'll destroy you in a second if you let it. Um, and there are those moments where it's tough for everybody. Um, but I think, you know, perseverance, there's nothing greater than, you know, my husband always says, oh, you're only one shot away. And it might be the worst quote on the planet that I hate when he says it, but he's right. You know, you get that one thought, you hit one great shot and then you're off, right? You get the confidence and something clicks and that's how golf is. And as hard as it is to hear when you're in the downs, like, it's reality and that's kind of happened in the last two weeks so you just got to keep going um and never give up perseverance there's the advice shane awesome perseverance mm-hmm. yeah exactly. <laughs> well well listen we're the same age stephanie so i don't know but if i take up golf <laughs> now who knows <laughs> you never I might, know i might yeah. be off it it doesn't matter how much perseverance i have ruby i don't know about that now but <laughs> oh, I'd, say it's advice in, I'd say it's advice in life so i would <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, on a genuine note, kind of just but just before we do finish up that chat, kind of that mental resolve, really. Um, like I'm always astounded when when I talk to any top athlete in whatever the sport is to have that. Like, would do you do you focus much on, on sports psychology and, and that side of things? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I work with a lady called Debbie Cruz, um, sports psych for um, three or four years now. Um, but she's amazing. Um, you know, she's. I wouldn't say a traditional sports psych, um, you know, she's a bit more, you know, a traditional golfy sports psych is keep calm and, you know, kind of go about your process and all the rest of it and don't think about the results. I'm a little bit different. Um, you know, I, I like to look at leaderboards, um, every other sport in the world, you look at the leaderboard and you know the score. So why shouldn't you, <laughs> um, you know, we've kind of over, I think it's motivating in it. And I tend to perform better when, as much as I hate being under the gun sometimes and my back's against the walls, unfortunately, that's when I perform my best. So, um, you know, sometimes I have to kind of recreate that situation for myself, even when my back's not against the wall. So, um, but it's a fun way to play golf. And, um, you know, it's, it's such an important part of the game on and off the golf course. You have to be happy off the golf course before you can even think about making birdies on. So um, there's a lot of balancing going on. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I think it's a great philosophy. Yeah. Backs to the wall, stand up and fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that was Stephanie Meadow. And with the Olympics in Paris awaiting in 2024, hopefully our female golfers will add to our medal prospects with form like that. And speaking of the 2024 Olympics, someone who knows all about Ireland's prospects in Paris is Team Ireland's chef de mission and former Olympian himself, Gavin Noble. Marie and Ruby spoke to Gavin before the European Games last summer. And Marie began by asking him just what a chef de mission actually does. Um, well, that's a very good question. Uh, I do everything and a little bit of everything and anything at all. Um, basically, I am the, the project lead um, for the Olympic Games. So um, I do everything from policy to selection um, to wrecking um, all the venues. Um, I have a big team, of course. Um, but at the end of the day, I guess it's it's uh, someone. There's a project lead, and it's me. And the project just happens to be um, the Olympic Games, which is uh, really exciting. I'm having a good giggle here, Mark, and my co-host. The chef, the mission, not fairly self-explanatory. Do you, Marie? Is that a... I did say for people who don't know. I mean, oh, I thought you were inquiring for yourself. Well, that's what um, I say when I am inquiring for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it's that a funny too. Title, to be fair, it's a funny one, to be fair. Chef to keep, chef to mission, chef to mission. No, I but, just think look, of food. You know, that's you say chef, I think food. No, chief. Uh, Gavin, it is an interesting job, and I look when I was reading up on on you this afternoon. Like even the recce you've done for Paris, like our rowers won't be staying in the Olympic Village, things like that. It's all about preparation, and you're basically preparing for everyone. 
Yeah, exactly that. And we've been preparing for, for Paris since I started work on Paris in 2021. Um, so these things um, take a long time to, to plan. Uh, we start off with, you know, 700 people who have a chance of qualifying. We probably whittle it down to the 120, 130 best athletes in Ireland at that point in time. Um, all, of t- all, of th- all of the time, of course, the, the sports are in operations themselves, going to Worlds and Europeans. We, we have a large database and we do a lot of tracking. Uh, my job is to make sure that when we get to games, we've left uh, no stone unturned. Uh, for every sport and we treat every sport the same in terms of how we approach uh, what we need to do to support uh, the ambition that they do have and it's performing at the very highest level go on then spill the beans who are the most needy <laughs> who are not going to be happy with the flight you have them all uh, don't like the bus uh, aren't happy with where they're staying want different pillows the most needy person is me um and um <laughs> oh, i like everything and if I'm everything's perfect for me, it should 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 uh, trickle down. But there's a very different games this year to what Tokyo was, for example. It's Paris, uh, closest European neighbor. It's easier to go in and out. I can go to Paris for three days and get a lot more done. Every time I went to Tokyo, for example, it took a couple of weeks. You know, uh, so it's a very different games. It's easier in in one part, but then it's um, a little bit more complicated because people know the area and they they've they've more specific needs. You know, and you mentioned rowing, um, just there we've similar for for sailing. Uh, we just finished off our pre-games camp uh, planning for athletics. Uh, so it's it's about most of our sports now are, are really, really professional. And sometimes it's me to to lead. Uh, sometimes I'm just getting out of the way and letting them do their thing. Uh, but we're, we're trying to bring the team. We're trying to bring 17, 18 sports um, as one team. And that's no mean feat. We're bringing all these different cultures together. Um, so it's really exciting. Um, but as you know uh, yourself, it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of planning. There's a lot of, a lot of people involved. Given just the pressure that comes with going to an Olympic Games, how beneficial is it that you have been there, done that yourself, that you can actually relate to what these athletes are going through? Yeah, I think that's um, it's a string to my bow for sure. I, I understand um, not only from an athlete's point of view, but a family. And it's sometimes we, we see the athlete on the screen, but behind the, fa- the, the athlete's performance is a mum and dad, a coach, uh, a granddad. Um, everyone from their community who's who's gone into supporting them get to where they're going to be, and um, so I definitely have a really appreciation of the layers um, that go into it, and they're representing at that point everyone. Um, um, I also was involved in coaching an athlete, Carolyn Hayes, in Tokyo, so I have a, a really understanding of the 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 cold face coach on the ground. Um, so I think I do have a broad experience, a good understanding, um, and but I'm learning all the time. Like I need to learn. And not go into anything thinking I know it all. I'm I'm constantly learning. I'm learning from some of the very best uh, performance directors that we have. So um, it's really really exciting for me. Um, it's been exciting for me to be an athlete and to be now leading the team. Um, so yeah, it's uh, many many layers. Um, but it's um, it's a really there's no pre- I don't feel pressure. Um, it's a real privilege to do what I do. In eight day t- eight days time, you'll have the European Games in Krakow. Are you looking at that as a a trial run for Paris in a sense? Yeah, very much so. And, and the European Games in Krakow is it's a European Olympics in, in its own right. You know, if 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 your listeners can sort of think about it like that, we've got um, 121 athletes, 17 different sports. Uh, we're trialing a lot of different things. Uh, we've got new staff. Um, we, we're we're doing little things around um, the Crown Plaza Hotel in Blanchestown, the Institute of Sport. Uh, we're trialing how we're going to set up um, our pre-camp, and our pre-camp for Paris is going to be in Dublin. Uh, so for the very first ever time, our main camp will be in Dublin for for an Olympic Games, which in itself is uh, really exciting. 
so there's a lot of opportunity for us, I think, for for Poland, for Krakow, uh, for us to learn how we're, we're working internally, uh, how we make everything a bit more efficient. Uh, and then for the games themselves, there's there's a lot of opportunity for boxing, for rugby, for a number of sports to, to directly qualify from there. So so it's in in its own right, it's it's high pressure enough for for a number of sports. Uh, and again, it's sort you can sort of link you can link the, the games in in Krakow and then in Paris on, on multiple different levels. You know. Those pre-Olympic camps being held in Dublin, will any of those be open camps? Will you try to engage with the public and kind of send your athletes off with a, an understanding of what Olympians mean to Irish people? Uh, definitely. I think um, there's a, there's an onus on us to do to do that. And I think the sports and the athletes themselves will expect it to a degree. If we were going away to, um, if we had booked the camp in, in Paris, if we, similarly, we, we booked the camp in, in Fukuoi in Japan and the athletes all met the locals. Uh, they met the uh, the public, the children, like part of our vision is to inspire the nation. Um, so definitely we'd have open sessions. <clears throat> um, it's on, it's in Sport Ireland campus and it's accessible to the public. It's not going to be a, a closed camp necessarily in terms of, um, uh, that that venue will still be open as normal, but there'll just be exclusive hours for us. But definitely, um, around the camp, um, and in the build up to the camp, we've got a lot of great sponsors making amazing plans for van zones, uh, for all of that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of plans in in the cooker, but that specific camp, um, there'll come a point where we have to shut it off, um, just the same as you would do be- before a big rugby match or whatever. Um, but definitely the public will get to see um, their Irish heroes um, before we get to go. At 500 Days Out, you did a piece um, with Ina Radin of the Irish Times and you said that we have 12 medal opportunities in Paris. That's talking now 500 Days Out and I don't think that will change much and that we shouldn't mm. be afraid of talking about medals or finals. Is that is that something that you would subscribe to when you're around the athletes or is it just uh, your, yourself, I guess? No, I think uh, if you look at the results internationally, rowing, boxing, gymnastics, athletics, um, there are a number of athletes who that's how they'll measure success. You know, like they'll measure success by if they medal, if they make a final, if they make a top 16. <clears throat> and I guess our role, the way I would look at it is we, we, we try and do everything to create the opportunity that they can go and perform. And I think it's, you know, for your for your listeners, they might come up with 12 different answers. If I ask you right now, who's your 12? It might be a little bit different to mine. Um, but I do think we have that amount of um, people who have a really good chance, um, and then they just have to take the chance. There's, there's once the the bell goes, once the starter's gun goes, there's there's nothing they can do to influence anybody else to a degree. Um, and it's how they walk into the arena, and that's when our job ends, and that's when the athlete takes over the the accountability performance. You know, and you need a little bit of luck for sure. Like you need the luck to to do anything in life and you need a little bit of luck for sure to win an olympic medal um but yeah i'm I'm firm in the in the in the statement that i think we've 12 opportunities to do very very well well four of them will be show jumping team medals so that's only eight required from everybody else it's quite easy isn't it it's a good game it's it's a good game to do yeah no for sure and we've golf and we've got rugby uh we've got rugby now uh we've got um, boxing uh, we've swimmer who um, have high potential, so um, I'm I'm pretty good at my predictions, and I think um, hopefully um, uh, of those twelve, a high percentage of those um, will come back with some with some medal. Gavin Noble, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Looking forward to following you now over the next year, because I think once the European Games are over, then it'll really hit home that the Olympics are just around the corner, and you're going to be so busy. 
Yeah, good busy, good busy. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> that was Team Ireland's Chef the Mission for Paris 2024, Gavin Noble. And that is our lot for this evening. But do join us again on Friday, December 29th from 6pm when we'll bring you another Game On special as we look back on an historic 2023 for Irish women's football as it played out here on 2FM. That's 6pm next Friday. Pencil it in the diary. But for now, from all of the Game On team, have a very Merry Christmas. Mind yourself. Take care.